If you're like me, the first thing you do when traveling is check out what's happening with the local food scene, right? And as I've been planning my big book tour and live podcast tapings all around the country, man, I am very excited to eat my way across the nation. There's Atlanta, there's Miami, and so many more. Going to local restaurants gives you a great taste of that place. And if you pay your bill with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum Amex, you get double miles at restaurants. Getting a taste of local food is the best way to get to know the local culture. And if you travel, you know that's how it's done. The Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. I am extremely excited about what's going on at Whole Foods Market right now. It is the Taste the Mediterranean sales event, a store-wide, flavor-packed journey of regionally-inspired selections. Save on Mediterranean-inspired flavors like Parmigiano-Reggiano, Charcuterie, Whole Branzino, Sustainable Wild-Caught Sockeye Salmon. Right now, they're on sale at Whole Foods, okay? Wines from the sun-soaked vineyards of Spain, Greece, and Italy start at just $8.99. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market. This episode contains explicit language. Congrats on the book. It's so exciting. Thank you. I'm excited-ish. Tell me about the ish. I, I'm like a pessimist, so, you know, okay. I'm always like waiting for the world to crumble or whatever. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nerve-wracking to have worked on something for so long. I would imagine like a lot of emotions. It's like gratifying to see it out in the world and get good attention, but also sort of like nerve-wracking because you just have a lot of, like, personal stakes on right. on how it's going to be received. Yeah. I mean, also, too, just because I'm a petty person, there's also a lot of bitterness, too. If it doesn't sell well, then that means that everybody was right and when they were saying there's no market for it. But if it does well, then that means that why the fuck did it take so long? Why did I have to work, like, four times harder than... The person that, you know, got to do, like, six keto paleo bean books in between. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, while I'm still trying to, like, pump this one up. So no matter how it goes, you have a good reason to be pissed off. Well, I'm always pissed off, so. <laughs> <laughs> like, always. <laughs> This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying the holiday season. And I want to tell you real quick before we get started that by popular demand, the Cascatelli Companion Recipe Booklet, all those Cascatelli recipes that my mom and I worked on together, along with the great folks at Spolini, it's now available a la carte. You don't have to buy the whole gift set. And we have our dish towel. The Put Some Cascatelli in My Belly dish towel is available also on its own. So here's what you do. Get yourself a six-pack of Cascatelli, or 12 or 48, and then you get some dish towels and or recipe booklets. That's all your stocking stuffers or all your coworkers who need something or all the aunts and uncles and cousins that you need something for this holiday season. Done. They're all getting Cascatelli and a recipe booklet and or a dish towel. It's a super fun gift. People love it. But you got to order by December 11th if you want delivery before Christmas. So go to Sfolini.com right now to order. That's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I.com. All right. Let's get into the show, shall we? Today I'm talking with food writer Ileana Masonette, who recently published her first cookbook, Diasporican. For this book, Ileana traveled all over Puerto Rico to document the incredible diversity of food on the island, a diversity that's underappreciated in many American cookbooks and even, Ileana says, by some Puerto Ricans. The book is also part memoir. Ileana shares the story of her family's journey from Puerto Rico to Sacramento. It's a story that starts with her grandmother, Margarita Galindez Masonette. What was your grandmother's childhood like? 
Oh, my God. I don't think that she ever had a childhood. By the time she was already nine, she had already got sent away to live with her aunt. And she became like a domestic worker. She met my grandpa through her sister. And she got pregnant at like 14 and had my mom at like 15. And that's like, that's, that's it. So there really is no childhood. Eliana's grandparents moved from Puerto Rico to the States in 1956 with her mom, Carmen, who was three at the time. Most stateside Puerto Ricans live on the East Coast, but Margarita's husband led them to Sacramento. Eliana's not sure why. Margarita would pick produce in the mornings and cook for the family at night. She made traditional Puerto Rican dishes like carne guisada and rice and beans. But they lived in a Mexican neighborhood, so she quickly picked up a few new dishes from her neighbors. She learned to make, like, pasole that she would make pretty often. Pasole, menudo, she knew how to make really good tortillas. Um, And I mean, you know, it got to the point where she would make that more often, I think, than Puerto Rican food. Were those tortillas corn or flour that she was making? Flour. I bet they were good. They were so good. (laughs) They are so good. Oh, my God. Like, I'm literally just, like, imagining her, like, you know, putting them on the comal right now. Like, she would, like, super hot— Pass them off. Like, they never made it, you know, past that comal. And then we would slap butter on it and then roll it up and then... They never made it to the table. Never. (laughs) Never. Never. And then what was the food like growing up in your mom's house? I don't really think that I realized that she didn't like to cook until, you know, I started this project. You know what I mean? Like, looking back. I even recently found out when she said, I don't like touching meat. And I was like, what? Because I had heard some of, like, I had heard, like, my goddaughter and some of the other younger people say, ew, we don't like touching chicken. It's slimy. Like, we need it in, like, an individual packets, you know? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> whatever, dude. And then when I heard my mom say the same thing, I was, like, blown away. I was like, what? She's like, I don't really like touching meat. And I'm like, that makes, like, so much sense. You really didn't cook a lot. If you did, it was kind of like, it was something that was like, Quick, hot, and filling. But she wasn't standing over the stove for hours. She wasn't braising carne guisada. No. I can ever think of my mom making Puerto Rican food when I was growing up. But I think that has a lot to do with the fact that there aren't a lot of things that my grandma got to teach my mom because they also sent my mom away when she was young. So I think the first time they sent her away, she was about 9 or 10, the same age as my grandma. I don't really think she got a chance to, like, learn how to cook from my grandma. They basically sent her away to be a living nanny. Like, the way that my mom describes it, we would describe it as a living nanny. And you, you say they sent her away, you mean her parents? Yeah, my grandma and grandpa. Sent your mom at age 9 or 10 to be a nanny? A living nanny, basically, yeah. Carmen would be sent away to live with another family and take care of their kids, sometimes for a few days, other times for weeks. It probably had a lot to do with money, but, you know, my mom has also said that One of her siblings told her, because of her attitude, that's why daddy didn't like you. So I think it's because my mom has always had a sort of independence about her. As soon as Carmen finished high school, she moved out and tried to distance herself from her family. But she stayed in Sacramento. She worked at an almond processing factory and later at a hospital. She had Ileana in her mid-20s and raised her alone. Ileana's father wasn't in the picture. Ileana never got to know her grandfather, but she developed a close relationship with her grandmother. Then, when Ileana was 15, her mother took her to Philadelphia to meet Ileana's great-grandmother, Carmen's grandmother. Ileana didn't even know there was another part of the family living on the East Coast. Carmen had never met her own grandmother, 
and wanted to connect with that side of the family. When they landed... My tío Tito came and picked us up from the airport in like an old RV van that had like no tags. He had no license. <laughs> and it was weird because it was like the way that they live is very similar to how the Masonettes live in Sacramento. From the airport, they headed to Ileana's great-grandmother's house. When they got there... She like came out there. She said hi to us. You know, everybody's like, yay, yay, yay. We're meeting all the family and stuff like that. And then she just disappeared into the kitchen. I couldn't talk to her because she didn't speak any English. I didn't speak any Spanish. So I just, you know, went in there to see what she was doing. And I just sat behind her and she didn't bother me and I didn't bother her. And I just watched her cook, basically. What did she cook? Bacalaitos. Like salted cod fritters. Yep. Like, I don't know if you ever had bacalao, but it's like, it is fishy. It's like way more strong, though, than what people call the fishy flavor, you know? It's like very kind of concentrated. Right, right. it's like salt cured. Yes, and it's like firm, too. So, like, the way that they make it, the outside is like lacy and like really crunchy. And then as you work your way in the middle, that's kind of like where the cod kind of like all kind of gets together. And it becomes kind of like chewy almost. And I was sitting underneath one of those huge yellow wall-mounted phones, you know. And she is just like, you know, getting the oil ready in her cast iron pan. And she's like mixing the bacalao the same way that my grandma did. Like even though her and my grandma hadn't talked in like, when I asked my grandma, she said it had been 40 years since they had spoken. But their bacalaitos are exactly the same. And nobody makes bacalaitos like my grandma. Like my grandma doesn't put any like sazon in it or any baking powder or any like achote or she doesn't do any of that. Like it's just the flour, the water from the soaked bacalao and bacalao. That's it. Like there's no measurements. They kind of just put the flour, put the fish and put the water, you know, until it's like this kind of pancake batter. So what you get is like just the straight bacalao flavor, you know, and nobody makes them like that. And then as soon as they come out of the fryer, you know, she just, like, turned around, like, handed me one. And I was like, damn, like, the way that she cooked, and my, her and my grandma was like, I don't know how you two can be both disconnected and connected at the same time. So that moment, eating the bacalitos mm-hmm. with your great-grandmother, you wrote, it, you realized in that moment that your mother had molded her life in your best interests. Mm-hmm. What was it about that moment that gave you that realization? My mom really tried to keep me at arm's length from the family. Like, you know, to be involved, yes, but also not to be too involved. A lot of the cousins or whatever were, like, getting into the same type of trouble, you know, like with the law and going to jail and, you know, just not necessarily having, like, a future that kind of keeps you safe and alive, you know? Like, those similarities are very kind of clear between what was going on in Philly and what was going on back home in Sacramento. Going to Philly gave Ileana a deeper understanding of her own family and her mother's choices. And there were other revelations on that trip about Puerto Rican culture more broadly. That was the first time that I got a chance to go out to eat Puerto Rican food. Like, you know, there were no places. I mean, there still are not that many in Northern California I hadn't got to eat at a Puerto Rican restaurant in Sacramento, like, at all. So to, like, go out and eat in a Puerto Rican restaurant was, like, already mind-blowing. And not even restaurants. Like, there was just, like, little, like, quick shacks, you know? Like, these little walk-up windows where you can just go and order all these little things. 
now I'm trying to get a sense of like how big the community is there. You're starting to realize that there's more of it than you understood. Yes. Now I'm getting a sense of the Puerto Rican diaspora. In 2004, when Ileana was in her early 20s, she moved to San Francisco to work as a visual artist. She was the first person in her family to move out of Sacramento. She spent several years in the Bay Area art scene until the Great Recession hit in 2008, and she couldn't support herself with art anymore. She moved in with a friend and started cooking and baking every day. Around this time, she read Anthony Bourdain's famous book, Kitchen Confidential. Ileana says she was already obsessed with writers like E.E. Cummings, Ernest Hemingway, and Jack Kerouac. When she read Kitchen Confidential, she saw Bourdain writing in the same way as her literary heroes, except about restaurants and food. When her roommate suggested she apply to culinary school, she decided to go for it. She wanted to learn to cook like a chef and write like Anthony Bourdain. A few years after graduating from culinary school, she got her first opportunity. In 2014, her brother-in-law, who's a photographer, came to her with an idea. They should make a Puerto Rican cookbook together. For Ileana, it seemed like a good first step into the world of food writing. They didn't have any experience making cookbooks, so they decided to start small with a booklet of her grandmother's recipes. And now that I've finished culinary school, now I'm kind of like in my pink, I went to culinary school phase. So now I need, you know, oh, we need measurements. Oh, I need steps. Oh, you know, I need to like literally describe everything. So you go into the kitchen with your grandmother. Yep. And start. Watching. And measuring. Yep. Like, you know, when she's like, this much more, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, let me get this two-cup mold, you know, and right. then pour this pour this water into this, and then I'll subtract how much water you use. And what did she think of that process? Oh, she, of course, she's like, you don't need that. <laughs> you don't need that. You just do, you just do it until it looks like this. <laughs> how much garlic do we use? Mucho, mucho. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's not descriptive. Like, are we talking like, you know, some people think that two cloves of garlic is a lot. Right. You know, and then she's like, two cloves of garlic? Who the fuck are these people? <laughs> you know, she's like talking like, you know, maybe like two heads of garlic. You know right. what I mean? And to me, that I'm like, okay, you were right. Mucho, That's mucho. mucho. All right. Yeah, <laughs> like, all right. You also went to Puerto Rico for yep. research for the booklet. Yep. And this was the first time you were going like as an adult and sort of as a food writer. Yep. How did the cuisine look to you on that trip? Similar, but different. The first time we went, we ate a lot of restaurants. I'm like, dude, this food is horrible. Like, my grandma's a much better cook than this shit, you know? Like, there's just no way. But then once we, like, got out of, like, old San Juan, food starts to get a lot better. But it also starts to change, kind of turn into, like, this almost like a regional thing. So that's the part that I was not expecting about Puerto Rico, and I didn't really know either. The regional differences. Yes. Because we went to go eat at this woman, Lula's, it's a restaurant. We were ordering our food and stuff like that and watching her cook. And I remember asking her, like, oh, do you guys have arroz con gandules? You know? And she was like, no, like, we don't make that out here. We make, you know, rice with crab. And that's like the first time I'm like, okay, so not everybody makes that. And also, what the fuck is rice or crab? <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. You right. know what I mean? And I it, and there's only like certain places that make it in certain parts of Puerto Rico. And then the crab thing is also like seasonal because the crabs have to be in season. And you know, in Puerto Rico, I'm like, dude, it's literally one fucking season here, hot. <laughs> and then, but people are still like, you know, oh, like canepas, they have to be in season. They're in season from like May to July. Oh, the crabs, they have to be in season. They come out, you know. During, and I'm like. Okay, like, all right. Like, it's, like, very kind of, like, 
pre-contact, pre-colonial, rustic cooking. And then they process all that stuff there themselves. Like, they process the yucca flour, like, by, you know, cooking the yucca, breaking it down, squeezing the water out of it. And I was like, oh, my God, like, just buy the bag of yucca flour, you know? (laughs) But they do all that there because they've been doing it there for, like, who knows how long. They might have been cooking there for, like, 100 years. In her travels, Ileana learned about dishes that even people in San Juan hadn't seen. She realized just how little most Puerto Ricans, on and off the island, know about their own food culture. The more she learned, the more she wanted to learn, and to share what she had found. Coming up, Ileana shows her recipe booklet to her grandmother and begins work on something much bigger. Stick around. And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. Mm-mm, it's very good. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool, Almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the choice hotels take care of all the other stuff too, but I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Recently, I went into my closet to try to get a collared shirt out, and it occurred to me that I don't think I have bought a new collared shirt in five years. I mean, (laughs) every shirt in there was either really old, or it had some kind of perma-stain situation, or it probably never fit right in the first place, I got to freshen up a little bit here. It's time for something new, right? And spring is coming. Now is the time if you've been looking to refresh your wardrobe, home, or skincare and beauty routines this season. Because, you know, Walmart has genuinely surprising style finds that don't break the bank. This spring, there's only one destination for the latest fashion, home, and beauty inspired by real life. Walmart. I freshened up my wardrobe. I got some nice dress shirts, a couple light hoodies. You know, you need light hoodies for the springtime. Very useful, very comfortable. Discover surprisingly stylish new season favorites at Walmart now or shop it all on the Walmart app. Go to walmart.com slash now trending. That's walmart.com slash now trending. Now trending your style at Walmart. It's been chilly here in the Northeast lately, and we have been on a big grilled cheese dipped into tomato sauce kick here in the Pashman household. And I've been making the grilled cheese with Hero sliced bread. The kids like the Hero classic white bread. I like the Hero seeded bread. It's fluffy. The crust is just right. And I like that the slices are sliced just a little bit thicker than a lot of other sliced breads. You griddle it in butter. You add some cheese. You dip it in the soup. Phenomenal. And all the Hero breads are low in net carbs and they're high in fiber. All these Hero Breads are delicious and flavorful. They'll give you that soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. So whether you're making homemade grilled cheese, BLT, maybe a you know, tuna melt sounds nice on some Hero seeded bread. I bet that would be really good. Maybe you're doing sliders on the Hawaiian rolls. Whatever it is, Hero has the bread for you. 
Don't give up being a breadhead. And Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use code SPORKFUL at checkout. That's code SPORKFUL at H-E-R-O dot C-O. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. And New Year's is just around the corner. That means it's time for our New Year's food resolutions episode. It's our annual tradition, and I want to hear from you. Tell me, what food do you resolve to eat more of in the new year and why? Record a voice memo with your name, location, and your answer to that question. Send it to me at hello at sporkful.com, and you might just hear yourself on The Sporkful New Year's episode. Again, that's hello at sporkful.com. All right, back to my conversation with Ileana Masonette. In 2015, Ileana finished her booklet. It was 10 pages of recipes from her grandmother with research from her trips to Puerto Rico. She got 500 copies made from a printer in San Mateo and began selling it herself. The first person she wanted to show it to was her grandmother. We go home, she's in the hospital, and I show it to her on what would become her deathbed. I didn't know at the time. They, they said she was sick, but my grandma, you know, she had, like, she was a smoker for a long time. She was, like, a drinker for a long time. She had, like, diabetes, high blood pressure. Like, she was sick for most of my life, you know what I mean? So when she went to the hospital, it was kind of like, okay, she's going in there again, but she's going to come out like she always does. And that's how I was treating that scenario, too. So you, you brought the booklet into the hospital for her to see it. Yep. What did she think of it? Mm. What, what does that mean? That's what she said. That's it. She just grunted? She's a, mm. It's her acknowledging it, but also saying it's not as good as mine. No matter how you cook this, it's not going to be as good as mine. Even though these are my recipes, under your hand, they're not going to be as good as mine. <laughs> because it, that's not how cooking works, you know? Knowing now that it was your grandmother's deathbed, how do you feel about having been able to show her the booklet? I'm glad I got it done when I got it done. Instead of, you know, I, you know, people like to have this tendency to, like, celebrate people once it's over. You know, write about this person before. So that way this person knows how much you mean to them. Why, you know, write the eulogy while they're alive. Because, you know, otherwise it's not really for them. It's just mostly for you. Ileana felt that in her travels in Puerto Rico working on the booklet, she had just scratched the surface of the country's cuisine. She wanted to dig deeper and go bigger. She wanted to turn the booklet into a full-fledged cookbook to bring together the Puerto Rican regional dishes she found in her travels with her family's recipes and the cuisine of the whole diaspora. As far as Ileana knew, there wasn't anything like that out there. She put together a book proposal, included the booklet as a proof of concept, and began shopping it around to publishers in 2015. She spent years pitching it, but publishers didn't think there was an audience for it. Meanwhile, she was pursuing a career as a food writer, trying to get pieces in magazines, newspapers, and websites. And there, too, she struggled to get a foothold in the industry and to develop the right relationships with people in power. You wrote in one of your newsletters that you've been told many times you're assertive, demanding, and difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first time someone told you that? Mm, No, because it's 
pretty much been told to me most of my life. And what do you make of that? I don't know. If I was a man, I'd be called, like, charming, debonair, and determined. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, who do you think you get that from? Do you know? A lot of it has to do with kind of like a survival instinct or maybe like a defense mechanism. Where I grew up, where my mom still lives, like, if you don't really have that kind of exterior, then you know, you're, like, prey. It's hard to, like, shift out of it because that's what I basically have to do, you know, when it comes to, like, doing anything with my professional career, like, when I'm dealing with people. I basically have to kind of, like, you know, code switch. I have to remind myself to, like, shift out of that persona because hardly anybody that I'm dealing with in the professional world grew up like me. But Ileana says it goes beyond where she grew up. It's a personality trait that's been passed down from the Masonette women who came before her. When Ileana's mom, Carmen, was 15, her parents arranged for Carmen to be married to a much older man. He was like 30 by now. And they sent them to go walk to the church so they can, like, you know, get everything planned and, you know, like, talk to the priest and stuff. And my mom says that the priest said, um... You know, when you start having children, and my mom's like, well, I want to finish school. And he's like, you know, well, you know, you're going to get married. So my mom goes, well, there's birth control. And she she says he said, well, the Catholic Church doesn't believe in birth control or in abortion. And my mom was like, oh, no. Like, this is not, nope. So she said on the walk home, she told him, the guy she's supposed to marry, I'm not marrying you. And when they went home, she told my grandpa that. But, like, the next couple of days, they sent her to go live with my Titi Lydia. So you weren't the first woman in your family to be told you were difficult? No. My grandma literally stabbed my grandpa in the shin when they lived in Puerto Rico. She waited for him to come outside of a gambling house and stabbed that fool in the calf. Didn't that sound like a difficult person? <laughs> and they're still together, dude. <laughs> Hello? I don't know if that ain't the fucking definition of difficult. I don't know what is. Yeah, and any uh, cookbook editor or newspaper editor who tells you you're difficult, <laughs> you should be like, let, let me tell you something. You're getting it easy. <laughs> like, am I stabbing you? Yeah, right. <laughs> Ileana did get some pieces published and began building a name for herself as a food writer she still felt like she had to work twice as hard to get half as far. And she still hadn't found anyone to publish her cookbook until the summer of 2020. There was a surge of protests over racial injustice in America, and suddenly food media's overwhelming whiteness became a liability for publishers. It was like 2020. I couldn't get them to tell me no. I couldn't get them to, like, give me low rates. I couldn't get them to lowball me. Like, any of that shit. They were like, yep, whatever you want, whenever you want, totally fine with us. Just let us know, you know? Finally, Ileana got her cookbook deal and was able to take two years to do in-depth research on the culture and history of Puerto Rican food. She documented the Chinese-Cuban ice cream shops that are beloved on the island. She traveled with her mom and cousin to Umacao on the East Coast and found a rice fritter that's only made in that region. But she also faced a big challenge. She didn't speak Spanish. Her mom, Carmen, wasn't allowed to speak Spanish at school growing up. In 1960s, Sacramento, speaking Spanish in public could make you a target for harassment. My mom, she didn't speak Spanish to me. And even now, my mom is fluent, but she's very kind of, like, embarrassed, shy to speak Spanish. So she just was like, 
I don't want the same things happening to you that happened to me when I was a kid. And there was nobody to, like, stand up for me. So I don't want that to happen to you. How much Spanish do you speak now? Restaurant Spanish. But you can get around in Puerto Rico? Yes and no. Even my mom, who's fluent, gets kind of confused, I think, in Puerto Rico because Spanish is kind of, like, progressed, you know, it's kind of very creolized, you know, depending on where you are in Puerto Rico. So if you're kind of like, you know, in more suburban areas, you know, with more affluent people, then they have a tendency to speak kind of more like Spaniard Spanish. But then if you go like into like, you know, like Luisa, which is kind of like more of like black Puerto Ricans and stuff, it's heavily creolized and the rhythm is much faster, you know. So when we all went Last year, I think, it was like me and my mom, my friend Tina, who's also fluent in Spanish. We went to this place in Piñones, which is like on the beach, you know? And this lady's like telling us where to park, but she's like talking to us. And my mom and Tina are like, what? (laughs) And the lady's like, talking super fast. And then Tina and my mom, they go, they look at me and I'm like, what the hell are y'all looking at me for? I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Like, why are you, I can't help you. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it's very kind of like it's almost um like a different dialect. Right. How do you feel today about the fact that you don't speak more Spanish than you do? Oh, it's embarrassing. Super embarrassing. One because I would love to communicate more. You know, I feel like I might be more independent maybe in my travels if I spoke Spanish. But also with Puerto Ricans too, a lot of Puerto Ricans just already experience Puerto Ricans to speak Spanish. Like, every Puerto Rican that I've met here, they will already automatically speak Spanish to you because they just assume there's not really kind of, like, a gap between that migration and, like, generations that might not speak Spanish. That's embarrassing. But also, Puerto Ricans who speak Spanish, they already don't really consider you Puerto Rican if you're not born there. And then if you also don't speak Spanish, that's just another thing they throw in your face. Despite these obstacles, Ileana completed her research. In October, seven years after she presented her recipe booklet to her grandmother, she published Diasporican, a Puerto Rican cookbook. I asked her to read from the introduction. Puerto Ricans are quick to argue about the roots and regulations of what Puerto Rican food is. Honestly, they just love to argue. Guilty. There are Puerto Ricans who don't know shit about their own cuisine. No shade. That tends to happen when you believe it's your birthright. You take it for granted. Sometimes it feels like somewhere along the line, Puerto Ricans lost their way and with it, their food. With colonization, that isn't entirely unintentional. There can be several arguments against why there's no emphasis on the beauty of Puerto Rican cuisine. Puerto Ricans don't tend to be cerebral about their food, but rather emotional. So you talk about how Puerto Rican food culture kind of combines, you have the Taino indigenous culture, you have Spanish, and you have African. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't talk about Puerto Rican food culture without talking about all three of those. Yeah, exactly. And yet, you wouldn't have that combination if it weren't for colonization mm-hmm. and the transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. So so these things that were the source of indescribable pain and suffering are also integral to creating this cuisine that you want to celebrate and share yeah, today. Exactly. So how do you reckon with all that? I don't really think you do. I feel—I'm not really, like, the type of person that's like, oh, it has to be this way or the other. I feel like you can both not really reckon with it, but at the same time, like, still 
appreciate and teach about the beauty in it. I feel like the two can coexist. Like, if you ask what Puerto Ricans are, they will tell you all three, straight up. Taino, Spanish, African. So that's basically kind of like a mixed culture. I'm trying to, like, kind of, like, connect all of them and show how all these things merge, like, where they started, like, you know, with with the indigenous people in Maiz, which, you know, I don't really feel like a lot of people really talk about, like, any of the corn recipes in Puerto Rico. And then I try to talk about, you know, how that kind of moves over to Spaniard, heavily Spaniard cooking, and then how now it's heavily influenced by Africans. Like, we wouldn't really have, like, any... Like, any of the fried stuff, really, if it wasn't for, like, Africans. Or rice. When we're, like, a huge rice culture, like, we wouldn't really have any rice. Even though the Spaniards brought rice, the Tainos were like, we don't know what to do with that. But then the Africans were like, oh, like, we know what to do with that. You know what I mean? Like, we, it's just without everybody, it just, it doesn't work. The book ties all of these threads together. There's a recipe for cassabe, a yuca bread that Tainos make as flatbread. There's also caldo santo, a seafood chowder from Loisa, which is the cradle of African foodways in Puerto Rico. And you can find a recipe for lechon, a whole hog barbecue. The pork originated from the Spanish. Barbecue came from the Tainos. Then there are recipes from the diaspora, like a roast chicken inspired by the famous Puerto Rican restaurant in New York, Casa Adela, and a plantain sandwich famous in Chicago, the Hibarito. Ileana also pays homage to her family recipes, like her mom's mushroom chicken. And these recipes aren't the only family connection to the book. Ileana's brother-in-law, Dan Liberti, is the photographer, and her mom features prominently. A lot of the photos show Ileana and Carmen's hands reaching for another bite of something. Carmen's even on the cover, which wasn't part of the original plan. You see, there's a recipe in the book for Puerto Rican arepas, crispy fried coconut bread sliced into sandwiches, which Ileana fills with a seafood salad of shrimp, cucumbers, and octopus. I knew I wanted the tentacles to be out in a seafood salad, which is not traditional. Like, Puerto Ricans, they chop it up really fine, you know? And then I wanted to add cucumbers as a kind of like, you know, a nod to like Mexican aguachile. And I said, let's put them together. Let's stack them in my mom's hand. So my mom's like, "Um, okay, okay. For the photo of the dish, Ileana's mom picked up four arepas stacked on top of each other. Tentacles curling out in all directions, sauce dripping down her hands. She's wearing gold rings, silver bracelets, and bright orange nail polish. The way that she's dressed and her, that's how she dresses every day. The jewelry. That's every day for her. Like, she was here today, that's what she'd be wearing. The Puerto Rican flag bracelet. Which is my grandma's, actually. And my mom was wearing it. The presence of Ileana's mom and grandmother, the messy, non-traditional octopus tentacles, the Mexican cucumber, the Puerto Rican arepas, every element of that photo represented a part of Ileana's book. Originally, the plan was to put it in the seafood section. But when she and her brother-in-law, Dan, looked at it... We were just like, dude, that's the fucking cover. We just knew it. I love it. Thank you. I love it. Uh, uh, I, I especially love the tentacles. I love the photography throughout this book. Thank the you. The whole book feels like, the, the it feels very lived in. Yeah. Like crumpled up can of beer, a, a greasy paper bag. Right. Yes. Uh, a, uh, an empty wrapper over on the corner of the table. It, like, I feel like I'm there at the table with you and your mom. That's how I wanted to, I wanted to look very kind of cluttered. How has working on this cookbook affected your own sense of Puerto Rican identity? I don't know. I There's a reason why I called it Diasporican, obviously, because I understand that the Puerto Ricans there, a lot of them don't really consider us here to be Puerto Rican. 
You know what I mean? So that's why it's like, okay, like, I'm almost like a third culture kid. You know, like, I'm a part of the diaspora, so fuck it. That's just my identity. And I'm okay with that. That's Ileana Masonette. Her new cookbook, Diasporican, is available wherever books are sold. And if you want to win a copy of Diasporican, subscribe to our newsletter by December 12th. You know, if you're already on the list, you're already entered into this and all of our giveaways. Like just recently, we gave away tickets to an intimate live taping with Clara Saffitz. Did you hear about that? No, because you weren't on the list. So please get on it. Go to sporkful.com slash newsletter. Remember to get your holiday shopping done on time. We've got six packs of Casca's Heli. We've got the recipe book. We've got the dish towels, all available separately. Mix and match. Buy a bunch. Just make sure to place your orders by December 11th if you want to be guaranteed of getting it by Christmas. Go to Sfolini.com. That's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I.com. Finally, one last thing I want to bug you about. New Year's food resolutions. Send me a voice memo. Tell me your name, your location, and what food you resolve to eat more of in the new year and why. Send it to me at hello at sporkful.com. Next week on the show, chef and YouTube star Rick Martinez. We talk about his 586-day road trip across Mexico, fighting for recognition and respect at Bon Appetit, and deciding to become a line cook at age 38. That's next week. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer... Emma Morgenstern. And producer... Andres O'Hara. Our editor is... Tracy Samuelson. Our engineer is... Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Eric Eddings and Colin Anderson. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. This is Whitney Vaughn from Fort Worth, Texas, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com/offer/seriousxm. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.